My name is David Conrad, and I live in Joplin, Missouri. Came up here for the missions convention, and I'm happy to stay a little bit longer to hang out with you guys. Just a little bit. Um, Rafa is the Hebrew word for healing. Oftentimes when I'm on, a, on an airplane, and you know, you have that dreaded conversation, what do you do for a living? And, and you, you, the chit-chat happens. They answer my question, and then I answer theirs, and they're like, Waffle House? Why does Waffle House need a, like a, a fundraiser? No, not Waffle House, Rafa House. It's Hebrew. <laughs> it's the Hebrew word for healing. So I want you to know that Rafa House is a healing house. It's a place for people who are broken, these girls who are broken, to come in and find healing. But it's not just a prescription. It's not a 12-step program. It's not a two-year program. It's a relationship with God that they're getting. In, in the Old Testament, it's almost always coupled with the word Jehovah. Jehovah Rapha. Healing Father. And so we provide a healing house for them to come into relationship with a healing father. You see, slavery comes in all shapes and sizes. Uh, Rafa House, uh, there's, there's 45.8 million slaves right now, they estimate, in the world. When I took this job two and a half years ago, just under that, um, the high number was 35.8. So the high number has grown to 45.8. The low number was 28 million. So there's that range of 28 to 35 that's now a solid 45. That's too much. That's so much growth. The business in the industry has gone from a $35 billion business to somewhere in the ballpark of a $150 billion business. Quintupled in less than three years. So I want you to understand this. These guys are not stupid. They're good businessmen. They don't look like thugs, all of them. Some of them probably do, but not all of them. Some of them probably look a little bit like us. Business casual, doing business just like you and I do Monday through Friday, Monday through Saturday. They're not dumb, and they're very well educated on how to get into the psyche, especially of our children. Who is an easier target but a child? Someone who's forming their identity. Somebody who maybe has some brokenness and doesn't know how to deal with it. They are literally preying on those who are the easiest to prey upon. I mean, you like Predator Week on like the Discovery Channel. You like the alligators just waiting for that wildebeest coming through with ADD or a broken leg or something, you know? He's like, hey, the ADD one's coming through now. I'm going to get him because he's by himself or he's broken. Something happened to the little one to be left behind. And that's the ones that they're grabbing. And when they get one, then they see the rest that are also dawdling. So I want you to understand that these guys are clever and they're good at what they do. Because there's young ears, I'm only going to mention this once, of the area of human trafficking, Rafa House focuses on a smaller section of sex trafficking. I won't go into detail for that uh, because of the, the younger ears, but I want you to know these, that Rafa's age group that we focus on is 6 to 18. And many of our girls are having to see anywhere from 8 to 12 clients a night. On holidays, that goes up to 20. Here in the States, in California, it's somewhere in the ballpark of 10 to 12 clients per night. It's a $600 a night quota. And if somebody doesn't pay, they have to see an extra. They'll be forced to sleep outside that night. 
It's real, and it's happening. So the fastest growing crime in America, second fastest growing crime in the world, only behind drugs, and many times they're using drugs as a way to addict the kids so they don't run. You know, talk about a prison. Uh, on the East Coast, they're using heroin. They're luring high school kids especially into parties that are mixed company between high school and college. Many of them have college friends at the community college, whatever. And at that, at that party, they will do different things, but eventually they'll get drugs in the system. And heroin, the, it's not the drug that's persuasive, it's the withdrawal of heroin that's persuasive. So when we say don't do drugs and stay in school, guys, we really mean it, right? And if you're at a party that you're not supposed to be at, get out. Most of the time in life we can afford one mistake. It's when we make two mistakes in a row that it's bad. When I drive 95 and a 35, that's one mistake, right? When I don't pull over for the police officer, that's two mistakes. <laughs> when I do something wrong but then I lie to my mom about it, that's two mistakes. If I confess, there might be grace <laughs> or mercy, depending on what it is. But I guarantee you, if there's two mistakes, my mama's not going to have much grace and not much mercy. <laughs> She's going to be disciplining me with the discipline of the Lord. <laughs> but these kids are finding themselves at a party. And they may not have the trust with a parent to call them and say, hey, Mom, I'm at the wrong party. I'm so sorry. I told you I was going to this house and I went to this house. Please come pick me up. And because they don't have that ability to have that conversation with mom and dad, they're getting a second mistake. And um, oftentimes it leads to withdrawal trafficking, where they're coming back to that person for the drug so that they don't have the withdrawals. That kind of slavery is a slavery that mom and dad may never know about. You may never realize it. Or maybe your kid as a friend who's going through these things. So I want, you to, I want you to know tonight is a huge deal for me because as a church, we've got to be educated, guys. We've got to be the smartest person on the block. When it comes to this stuff, we have, to, we have to know the tricks of the trade so we can fight them. Jesus says be innocent as, servant, or innocent as doves and true to serpents. We have to know where the snakes are. We've got to know why they're doing it and how they're doing it. This is a book. It's called Seduced. It's written by one of our board members, She's a go-getter. Her name's Opal. She has more energy than me combined like three times. Um, she is a go-getter. This is the only book on how American teens are being groomed that I know of. It's called Seduced. They're, um, it's the best resource I've found. I've literally read probably, probably 45 books on trafficking, and there's nothing better than what she's got right here. It's also probably the newest book. Um, Tonight, I'm going to talk about some of that stuff. Not just about this stuff, but also how to have hard conversations in your house. Um, how many, let me just show of hands, parents, how many of you feel real comfortable talking about difficult topics with your kids? How many of you get amazing responses from your kids when you talk about difficult things? I want to help you with that. I was just in there, and like half those kids are like, don't bring my parents here. <laughs> well, here's the thing. Sometimes your kids probably are right. And you do need to loosen that. But you've got to have faith that God's going to take care of them. And there's some things that you don't need to loosen up on. But if you're educated, you know which ones of those you can and can't. You know which friends you can and can't. Does that make sense? We need to make educated decisions on what hills we're going to die on with our kids. And uh, this can help you.
So I hope to maybe help you with that and give you some opportunities without the kids in the room to ask some questions. Um, I may not know the right answers, but if I get emails, I can email you. <laughs> um, but that's the point of tonight, is we got to be the best educated on the block if we're going to fight this. And in my opinion, the church has to be the most enlightened in order to win the war because nobody else has the hope that we have. Nobody else has Jesus on their side. So we need, we need to be on the front lines of this. So that's tonight. If you've got grandkids, if you've got kids, a foster parent, uh, if you know kids that are at risk, meaning drugs in their house, maybe multiple people going through the house, uh, multiple dads, I mean, all those things, please, please come tonight so you can educate yourself and educate them so that we can maybe keep some of your people safe. It's not a question that I like to ask, but would you regret it if somebody close to you or very close to your kids was trafficked and you know that you had the opportunity to get educated and maybe stop it? Absolutely, we would regret it. It's not your fault, but we would regret that it happened. So I want to help you have no regrets in that. So please come tonight uh, and get educated. Rafa House is a healing house, and it's important for us to understand that uh, God, Jehovah Rapha, the one that provides healing for these girls that have been abused and mistreated and, and sold by earthly currency, um, the healing that he gives them, he also offers to us. So I want you to know today as we talk through this whole thing that if you have any brokenness or regrets in your life that you need to surrender to Jesus or have him minister to, let him mend and heal that, I want you to know he wants to do it. And he's powerful and gentle enough to do it. He can heal it because he bought you. He, took, he, he paid the price. And he loves you that much. He has shown me over and over again when I go out and do this that we all have a lot in common with these Rafa girls because slavery is physical and spiritual. And when we live with regrets and we live with brokenness, we make ourselves a slave to that as long as we hold on to it. And so he wants to break the chains. He wants to let us go. But we've got to let him. We've got to walk out the door when he breaks those chains. Let's pray. God and Father, we love you. And we thank you so much for grace. Thank you that you hold the keys to our freedom. We know that you're trustworthy, but sometimes we have a hard time trusting. We know that you are loving, but sometimes we have a hard time receiving. And Lord, I pray that today as we talk, that you'd help us understand this isn't just about our freedom, but about everybody's freedom. And that as we walk free, we can live with no regret. It's here I pray. Amen. Um, if you want to turn to your, in your Bibles to Exodus chapter 3, we're going to cover the life of Moses a little bit uh, in one situation. But in order to get why we're here in, in Exodus chapter 3, we've got to get some background. I'm a huge fan of background in the Bible because sometimes you read a passage and you go, how did we get here? <laughs> like, really? we got like 600,000 men and their families in slavery. How did we get here? Well, here's how we got there. This guy named Jacob, he had a whole bunch of sons. And one of them was his favorite, Joseph. Have you ever seen Joseph in the Technicolor Dreamcoat? Okay, I want you to know favoritism happens, but giving one kid the bright and valuable coat, especially when he's going to strut his stuff in front of his siblings. Hey, see this coat? 
Dad gave it to me because I'm his favorite. Maybe not wise of a father, but it makes for a great musical. Jacob, Jacob and Sons. Nobody? Okay, we got some people. Donnie and Marie used to... Oh, yeah. I'm an old soul. So you got Joseph, and he's strutting his stuff in front of his brothers. He's like, hey, you know where I got this coat? They're like, yeah, we do. In a hole. <laughs> and while they're, they put him in a hole, and they're just figuring out what they're going to do with him. And he can hear, you know, you're, I'm right here, guys. I can hear what you're saying. You know, they're talking about killing him. They all decide we're going to kill him. And then the oldest one steps in and says, no, we don't want that regret. So let's act like we kill him and sell him into slavery. Oh, that sounds like a great idea, especially for our topic today, right? So they do it. They take the Technicolor dream coat, they kill a goat, and they smear it with its blood. They take it back in, in, like it got run over by a lawnmower to dad, and they sell him to slavery. So he goes to be with Potiphar. Now, Joseph's life is marked with God's favor all over it. All over it. He was his dad's favorite, he got the cool coat. Minus his arrogance that got him thrown in a hole and sold him to slavery. Um, he's got God's favor all over it. Living with Potiphar, he becomes the most powerful servant in the house. Most powerful servant in the house. In fact, he's running Potiphar's house. And Potiphar wasn't like the average guy. He was like upper class kind of guy. He was very valuable to his kingdom. So you got Potiphar, who thinks Joseph's pretty cool. Unfortunately, Potiphar's wife thought he was pretty cute. And yet again, Joseph is leaving a coat behind in the clutches of Potiphar's wife, who's screaming out, he tried to do bad things to me. Potiphar, I don't know if he believed his wife or not. I don't know if this was the first time this had happened. But regardless, he had to punish him. So he had to punish his slave by throwing him in jail. Now, we all know he was innocent. But jail is jail. You got to go. So he's sitting there in jail going, I didn't deserve this with my brothers. (laughs) Well, maybe a little bit, but not this. Not this bad. Maybe a a noogie or two, but not this. I didn't deserve it with Potiphar. What's God doing? He's chilling, and then these two guys have dreams. One of them ends good, one of them ends bad. (laughs) And he tells them the dreams and says, don't forget this. He interprets the dreams for them. Well, the one that gets restored to Pharaoh's house as the cupbearer forgets. <laughs> forgets that the dream was that he was going to be, until Pharaoh has a dream about seven skinny cows that nobody wants a ribeye from and seven fat cows that are ready for eating. And then he remembers, I know a guy who can interpret dreams. So he's, he sends for Joseph. Joseph is, of course, still rotting in jail because they had forgotten him. And what does he do? He interprets the dream and becomes the most powerful slave in all of Egypt. Now, this is a step up from Potiphar. This is all of Egypt. This is the agricultural corner of the world because of their viaducts. and It's good stuff. They know how to do business. They've also got a cool army with lots of chariots. They're in a very hard place to siege because there's desert all around them. So it's difficult to move an army in. They're very fortified, very very valuable kingdom. And um, 
Because of Joseph, they survived seven years of famine. They didn't trade away all their grains that they got in the seven years of plenty. Like they would have. They'd been like, man, rolling in the dough. Well, they'd have been spending dough to try to get more stuff because they would run out. But because of Joseph and God's favor on him, they survived death. Because of this slave. Because of one man with one task. Guess what? Ephesians, or Exodus chapter 1, the kings began to forget. They forget who Joseph was. In fact, they don't even know Joseph and his family. His brothers, his dad, they don't know him. And all they know is that there's a whole bunch of Israelites around, and if there was a war, they'd take over. If there was a mutiny, they'd have the power of the number. And so they had to get rid of them all. So in Exodus chapter 1 and 2, we see that they kill all the baby boys. Except for, like, one. Now this resembles another king who later on in history tries to kill all the boys because he's worried about this king, you know, Bethlehem, trying to take over the world, going to rule my kingdom. Nobody's going to rule my kingdom. I'm going to kill all the boys. Guess what? Moses' mama built a little baby ark, sends him off, and who finds him but Pharaoh's daughter. You want to talk about God's providence over a people group? To have Moses be found by Pharaoh's daughter and raised in his home. And in chapter 2, we see that he kills an Egyptian because he's hurting a slave, a Hebrew slave. And in that moment, Moses realized what he does. It's reported, and Pharaoh hates Moses and is coming after him. And so Moses flees. That's how we got to chapter 3. Moses is out in the middle of nowhere farming. And he's taking care of business. And we get into Exodus chapter 3, verse 4. Moses has seen a fire in a bush, and it's not burning the bush up. When he saw, and, and so if you were to see a bush on fire and not burning up, what would you do? Grab some marshmallows and go check it out. Right? You're going to, okay, guys, let's go have some s'mores. Uh, kosher s'mores, of course. Um, and so he goes out there, and when the Lord sees that he'd gone over to look, God called him uh, from within the bush. Moses! Moses! Now, this bush knows his name. I'm just saying that's weird. Um, and Moses said, here I am. Like, hey, I'm here. Do not come any closer, God said. Take off your sandals for the place where you are standing is holy ground. Then he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. At this, Moses hid his face because he was afraid to look at God. There's a lot of reasons for us to be afraid. Now, first of all, talking bush on fire not burning up might terrify me a little bit once I got through with the intrigue of it all. Um, especially without, like, these people didn't have special effects. You know, like, we have movies, and we see stuff burn and doesn't go. These people didn't have special effects. This was, like, completely foreign, that something would be on fire and not burn up. But Moses was full of fear and regret. As soon as God says, I'm the Lord uh, of your forefathers, the God of your forefathers, he's full of Fear and regret. 
Now, there's two reasons why I think he's full of fear and regret. And this is, for the one, he's in the presence of a holy God. Now, if you have no sin, there's no reason to fear the presence of God. Why do we fear the presence of God? Because we are unholy and his holiness will overtake our unholiness to the point of extinction for us. But with Jesus coming in, he allows us to actually stand with confidence before the Lord is what the Bible says. We can stand with confidence because our sin has been forgotten. Moses doesn't have that. He's terrified. And he has killed an Egyptian and fled. He's full of fear and regret. He's not with his people. He's an outcast. He's running. He's a fugitive. But this God of his is talking with him. And uh, in this conversation, it's important for us to realize a couple of other things. God's power is able to consume Moses' weakness. Now, how many of you ever regretted a decision? How many of you knew as soon as you made the decision that you were going to regret it? <laughs> I mean, sometimes we do that. Like, it just happens. But in this instance, it's fun to watch how God's strengths consume Moses' weakness. I mean, he didn't just, like, push it to the side. He ate it for breakfast. I mean, he's like, hey, it's no more. It's gone. I've taken it in. Upon myself, your weakness is no longer on you. And so as you see this conversation between God and Moses, uh, you got to pay attention to the fact that his, his strength can consume our weakness. Um, it's also important to, to realize uh, that slavery is both physical and spiritual. Slavery is both physical and spiritual. Um, as we read on in verse 7, says this, the Lord said, I have indeed seen the misery of the people in Egypt. I have heard them crying out because of their slave drivers, and I am concerned about their suffering. I have come down to rescue them from the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them out, up out of the land into a land that is good and spacious, a land flowing with milk and honey, the home of the Canaanites, Hittites, Amorites, Perizzites, Hivites and Jebusites, that's a lot of ites. Um, and by the way, as Moses is hearing this, this is not alleviating his fear. He's like, them Canaanites are big. Remember, he lived in Egypt. They did trade with other places in the world. He would have at least heard rumors of big people. He would have at least maybe seen a couple of their traders, their ambassadors. He knows these people mean business. And you're going to take us to that land? God, that doesn't sound like freedom. That sounds like a war. God, that doesn't sound like a promised land. That sounds like a bunch of thorns. This is not alleviating his fear. And now the cry of the Israelites have reached me, and I have seen the way the Egyptians are oppressing them. So now go. I am sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. But Moses said to God, who, who am I that I should go before Pharaoh and bring out the Israelites from Egypt? Notice the fear and the regret. Who am I? He's not saying, all right, dude, let's go. Come on, bring it. Who am I? 
His fear is, is that he'll be recognized as a murderer, a deserter, maybe even like a half-breed because he grew up in Pharaoh's house, a traitor because he had luxury while his people had suffering. All of these regrets, all of these fears are coming out. And God says this in verse 12. He says, I will be with you, and this will be a sign to you that it is I who have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you will worship God on this mountain. Notice that physical and spiritual. God didn't just want to bring the people out because they were suffering physically. He wanted to bring them out because they were being oppressed spiritually. They were being prevented to worship their God. And God wanted them to be able to have that relationship with him. Moses said to God, suppose I go to the Israelites and say to them, the God of your forefathers has sent me to you, and they ask me, what is his name? Then what shall I tell them? Moses said to God, or uh, God said to Moses, I am who I am. This is what you are to say to the Israelites. I am is sending you, sending me to you. I love this response from God. Because he doesn't say, uh, I'll woo them with signs. I'll woo them with wonders. Now later on, he does some of that through the plagues. But he says, I am is sending you. I am sent you. And I am is a being term. It's not the all-powerful, you know, mighty Oz has sent you. I am sent you. I am going with you. I will be with you. His character is what's sending him. God's character, his being, his love, and his character are the same. And he's asking Moses to get rid of the regret, get rid of the fear, because I am is going with him. My character will carry the conversation. My being, my power will carry the conversation. You're just one man with one task. You're just one man with one task. Now, It's not Moses' fault. His one task was to approach the most powerful leader on the earth at that time. Um, I don't know about you, but I'd be shaking in my boots, (laughs) especially since I know what that guy is capable of, and I know that he's still mad at me. But God says, I am is going with you, my character. And I think it's important for us to remember that because so often you get drained doing ministry because your tank gets empty, and you forget that it's I am who sends you. It's his character. It's his being. It's he that does the work. You were the vessel. He does the work. And Moses forgot a little bit of that. But it's important for us to remember all of those things. But here's the four steps of God's action in this story. First of all, the people were suffering. I don't know about you guys, but I have had suffering in my life. Now, I believe suffering is not relative after I've been to third world countries. Suffering is not relative. There is extreme suffering. Uh, But when I was 14 and my mom was diagnosed with cancer and I was a lost kid, I guarantee you I asked the question, why would a loving God let bad things happen to my mama? She's a good mama. (laughs) Had rough spots. But overall, she was great. She loved Jesus. She loved other people. She used her gifts and talents for him. Why would he let this happen? happen to her and to my family. 
and I can kind of assume, in Scripture sometimes we shouldn't assume because it's not written, but after reading the other complaints of the people wandering in the desert, I think it's safe to assume that the people of Israel said something like this. Why would a loving God let this happen to his chosen people? To me, his chosen child. He made promises and now he's going back on them? Why would he let them kill all our babies? Why would he let them do this, that, and the other? But God takes notice. God takes notice of their suffering. And here's the thing. It's the wrong question. It's a reasonable question, but it's the wrong question for people to say, why would a loving God let this happen to my family? Why would a loving God let bad things happen to innocent children all around the world? Having to see 6 to 12 clients, 8 to 12 clients a night. Why would a loving God let that happen? But here's the thing. He takes notice of our suffering. He hears our cries. He notices your pain and my pain and their pain and these people's pain in Egypt. But it's the wrong question to ask of why. The right question is this. What is a loving God doing about the bad things that are happening to good people? What is a loving God doing about the pain that I have in my life and the pain you have in your life and the pain and suffering of slaves all around the world, and, and 8 million slaves in Egypt at this time. And here's what God says. I'm going to pick one man and give him one task. And that's how I'm going to respond to this. One man, one task. And so he calls Moses. God calls Moses and gives him one task. Go to Pharaoh and say, let my people go. <laughs> and then we get the great camp song. Pharaoh, Pharaoh, ah ha Oh, baby, let my people. Come on, y'all. Hand motions and all. Let's go. No, I'm just kidding. He says, let my people go. Take them out of slavery. and Let them come worship me on this mountain, and I will take you to the promised land. God says, I'll take you out of suffering and give you a land flowing with milk and honey. And for me, that'd be like ribeyes wrapped in bacon. Hallelujah. <laughs> Praise the Lord. Land flowing with milk and honey, you will prosper. God promises them a promised land. But you see, that promised land isn't good enough. Because there's only temporary coverage. And by the way, once they got there, they ruined it. Because they followed other gods. And God allowed them to be taken out of that place into Babylon and slavery elsewhere. And I think that they probably, if they had the chance to go back and change some of those things, they might be able to live without regret. Because they had the promised land. And they gave it up. Because they didn't serve the king and they forgot that they were the house of I am. That he went with them. See, in Hebrews chapter 3, if you want to turn there, that's our main text today. I know I spent a lot of time in Exodus, but without Exodus, this doesn't make sense. Because this is one of those how do we get here statements. Chapter 3, verse 1. Therefore, holy brothers who share in the heavenly calling, fix your thoughts on Jesus, the apostle and the high priest, whom we confess. He was faithful to the one who appointed him, 
just as Moses was faithful in all God's house. Jesus has been found worthy of a greater honor than Moses. Just as the builder of a house has greater honor than the house itself. For every house is built by someone, but God is the builder of everything. Moses was faithful as a servant in all God's house, testifying to what would be said in the future. But Christ is faithful as a son over all God's house. We are, in, we are his house. You and I are his house. We, right here, are his house. His, he's the builder of everything, and he built this house. And if we hold on to our courage and hold on to our hope of which we boast, we are that house. If we hold on to hope and hold on to courage, which we boast, we are that house. You and I are the house for healing. And when he sends us out, he doesn't say, go do this. He says, go be, be me. <laughs> He's not saying love your neighbor. He's saying be me to your neighbor. He's not saying rescue the slaves. He says be me to the slaves. He's not saying go heal that person of depression. He says go, me, go be me to somebody who's depressed. When you're holding on to regret, he says, allow me to invade your regret. Allow me to provide you courage. Allow my word to fill your spirit with hope. Be me to other people. And you will be my house of healing. Because his character, his relationship, he is the Jehovah Rapha. He's the healing father. And we are his house. And we can stand together in that courage. Hold on to it together. Talk about it with each other. And go out as one. This is a big deal. It's a global issue. Thankfully, we have a global church that is ready for action. But we've got to get educated. We have to know the issues. This is just the start of a conversation. And by the way, there's a lot of other problems in the world other than slavery. Don't think that I don't see that. But here, he takes them out of slavery and then takes care of the other stuff too. People were hungry, he gives them manna. <laughs> they were thirsty, he gives them dew. He takes care of the other things. But we as a church have to be the most educated kid on the block. We got to love with our heart and our mind. And understand this, we at Rafa House believe this to be true. And I hope you do as well. That nobody can be purchased with earthly currency. The only currency that is worth that of a human life is the blood of Jesus on the cross, paid for you, for me, and for them. That's it. Slaves to righteousness. That's it. And you and I have to deal with the slavery in our own lives, the sin that pulls us in, the regret that pulls us in. We got to deal with that. Because that's going to keep us from being that healing house for other people. So let him heal you so you can extend that healing to others. And you are just one person with one job. And your job may be to talk to you know, Pharaoh and say, hey, Pharaoh, Pharaoh, let my people go. <laughs> that might be it. But it might be coming tonight to hear how you can help your cousin who's got rough time with their kids. It might be educating yourself more, maybe going to Cambodia. I don't know what God has for you, 
You may be just supposed to help out the soup kitchen, but I am is going to go with you. And it's I am who does the work. All you have to do is be I am with them. And it's going to be taken care of. I'm going to leave you with this. We got people dying all around the world, inside, outside. Suffering is common to man. And they're all asking the wrong question. They're asking, why would God let this happen? Why would God let this happen to me, to my family? And what he wants for you and me is to be part of the answer to the right question. What is a loving God doing about the bad things that are happening? And by the way, when we live as an answer, we live with no regrets. God, I love you. Thank you so much for life that we have, that we can live abundantly with you. And Lord, I pray that as we go about your work, that you would carry your character highly with us. That you would help us to put our regret aside. That we wouldn't be slaves to regret or guilt. We wouldn't be slaves to anything but you. And Lord, as we walk with you, as we talk with you, as we become your house, holding on to courage, I pray that many people would find healing because of us, because of you.